maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your etiquette questions on gas pump etiquette, separate bedrooms, sending one thank you for all your wedding gifts, how to hang out with just one of a couple, and avoiding the subject of your divorce at your dad's wedding. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on rude cell phone usage that comes from an article a listener sent us. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining Members, your etiquette question of the week is about handling canvassers on the street. You can also hear your ads-free version of the show with its extra question by downloading it at awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com or on your phone, download the Teachable app and you'll find you've got access right at your fingertips. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan post Senning. I'm back. Welcome back. Thank you. If it weren't for this show, I don't know if I'd get to see you enough. I know. Right now, Dan and I have, like, Dan, you've been actually, you've been coming into the office and I've been working at home like crazy. And I keep extending the deadline I'm working on. And so I still keep working at home like crazy. Yeah, when things finally do shift up, we're going to have to find more times to connect than just the podcast. I was driving in this morning thinking, oh, it'll be good to see Lizzie this morning. And it was last week about this time that I saw Lizzie and was saying the same thing. (laughs) I know. I know. (laughs) So what's going on in your life besides work? I was just in New York City on a campaign for Marshalls, which was really fun. We were talking about wedding gifts and um, all the wonderful ways that Marshalls is a great destination for wedding gifts. So that was really fun. That's some of the work that Dan and I do where we partner with other brands and help use their service or product as a solution to a lot of sticky etiquette situations. Like, do you shop off the registry? What if the stuff on the registry is stuff you can't afford? (laughs) It all comes up. (laughs) And you end up in New York doing a lot of the media availability and appearances. And that's the part I get a little jealous about because I love visits to New (laughs) York. No, it is really fun. I stayed at the Freehand Hotel and it was really cool. I really loved the decor and the staff. I mean, the staff definitely gets an awesome etiquette salute. They did a really great job. They were all really, really friendly. I mean, just very sympathetically friendly people. You can tell they deal with travelers a lot. You know, it's like they're like, oh. And that's not the stereotypical New Yorker thought. Oh, what a friendly group. But it's so true. I think New Yorkers get a bad rap. I love visiting that city. And I find the particular courtesy of New York, it has its own flavor, but it's it's a real thing. And you've got something interesting coming up this weekend because I'm doing a golf tournament, but you've got, I see Trevor's Stakes on the, on the list. I'm entering some unfamiliar territory with some familiar people. Okay. My parents and Pooja's parents decided it would be fun to visit the Saratoga Raceway and see a horse race this weekend. The Traverse Stakes is their big end-of-the-season event. I don't go to a lot of horse racing, but I'm really curious and... My parents and Pooja's parents are really excited about it. It's an in-laws planned event that (laughs) their children are sort of getting invited along. Okay, okay, okay. We're all looking forward to it. Nisha's going to go. Pooja and Cindy are going hat shopping later this week. (laughs) Well, it is good to see you. It is good for us to get to catch up. How about we get to some etiquette questions? Let's do it. 
Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question is titled Gas Pump Etiquette. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. First, let me say how much I love listening to your podcast. It always brightens my commute and gets my head in a great place to start the day. My question today is regarding a place where I often don't think of etiquette, the gas station. It is back to school time here, and at the gas station today, I noticed all of the pumps were being used, so I got in line to use a pump. However, the person in front of me had gone inside the store and left their car turned off but pulled up to the pump. I sat there for five minutes before they got back. They then proceeded to pump their gas. At first, I thought they had gone in and prepaid, but I noticed that they had used their card to pay once I got back to the pump. That raised the question, is it rude to park in front of the pump if you're going inside to do more than just prepay, especially if the gas station is busy? There are parking spots available outside the convenience store part of the station for use, and I'm inclined to believe those should be used instead. Thanks for reading my question, and I hope you both have an excellent day. Abigail in North Carolina. Abigail, yep, it's rude. That that was pretty much my answer. Yep, that's rude. Heart of good etiquette, thinking about other people, it's inconsiderate to occupy that space, particularly if there's a line behind you. It's not polite. It's 
bad line etiquette, etiquette. bad line behavior. Bad gas station etiquette. I could imagine a scenario where you go in and prepay and you grab like bottled water or whatever it is that you need. And the line just happens to be really long. But in this case, that's the prepay thing isn't what was happening. So you should have paid pumped the gas, and then gone and parked at the convenience store parking spaces and gone in for the rest of whatever it is that you need or the restrooms, that sort of thing. You are doing exactly the thing that I would also do at this point in an etiquette situation where I'm confronted with rude behavior. Yeah. Instantly, I give myself a couple of the maybes. (laughs) I say, oh, maybe they had to turn on the pump. Yeah. They tried a card. It got rejected. You need to reactivate. The card wouldn't work at first. They had a question. They Got out of their car, looked at it, said, oh, which one of these is the no-octane gas? Or I thought there was no – you run inside to do something. that There are other possible situations beside pull up, occupy the pump, go inside, buy something, come out, pump gas. All of that is a little bit of a mental exercise. (laughs) because (laughs) Just a wee bit. (laughs) Right, because the most likely scenario is this is rude behavior. Right. But you don't want to jump right to that place in your mind. You don't want to jump to that critical mind. The the challenge for me here, the etiquette challenge is – how do you accept there's not much you can do about it, not let it bother you too much or ruin your day? Oh, you mean you don't throw your car into reverse, squeal your tires, and move six feet over to the next pump? <laughs> it wouldn't have occurred to me, but no. And <laughs> Although maybe that should have occurred to me because no, that, that would, would communicate not, very clearly. Yeah, but that would so not be the right thing to do. And it sounds dangerous. <laughs> All of the above. And you don't want to end up in that place yourself. No. And... Maybe those maybes set you up to say, you know, those are possible. It's also possible. This is rude behavior. They start thinking, I've probably succumbed to this little self-serving instinct myself at some point where I was like, I'm just going to run in and do this thing. Yeah. It's a little mistake. It's not a big one. And try not to let it become too big in your own day. But yes, this is rude behavior. I would hold myself to a different standard. Absolutely. So take a minute when you pull up to the gas pump, look at what's going on. If it's really busy and you know you've got other stuff to grab and maybe you already have to wait, you can grab your stuff at the store and then get in line at the pump or pump your gas and then move your car over and go get what you need at the store. That is polite gas pump etiquette. And now we've covered something new. (laughs) Thanks, Abigail. No matter which side of the wheel we're on, we are prone to stand up for our rights or what we feel are our rights, rather than being courteous and safe. Don't be dead right. Our next question came in via voicemail, and it's about separate bedrooms, and for how long? Hello, my name is Lacey. I'm from California. My question is this. In this day and age, with so many people not choosing to marry, at what point when you're with your partner do you have to continue sleeping in separate bedrooms? My mother-in-law and I were discussing it, and my brother-in-law is visiting someone who's very religious, and he and his girlfriend will have to sleep in different rooms. And I'm just wondering at what point, because they're not planning to get married, When they've been together for three years, well, they've been together three years, but five years, eight years, ten years, still unmarried, and they're in their late 30s and early 40s, do they have to continue sleeping in separate bedrooms? Or at that point, can they sleep in the same room because they are an established couple? And though they choose not to marry, are you still offending religious people? Or I'm just wondering. (laughs) Well, I love this show. Thanks so much. Great question. This is a really good question. It's one we've heard before. Yes. So let's look at the etiquette. 
there's some host guests etiquette that does apply in a situation like this. But you don't want to just cut to the chase? Easy solution, man. Stay at a hotel, campground, other friend's house in the area. <laughs> no, is that not the good? No, Well, no. there's still some host guest <laughs> etiquette that applies. No, Here, there absolutely is. There absolutely let is. Let me play a Lizzie Post. <laughs> okay, do a Lizzie Post. Hey, come for a visit. That'd be great. I'd love to. I'll be staying in the hotel down the road. <laughs> just so you know, Dan just crossed his arms, puffed up, wiggled his chest, and looked like, ha, so there, Lizzie Post, you deal with that etiquette question. <laughs> I, I, I was feeling a little bit of your <laughs> sauce at that moment, anyway. Um, no, but you're absolutely right. Like, the, the easy answer is, well, if it's really that much of a problem, you go stay somewhere else. However, that can often cause more problems, especially when we're dealing with family. Well, what do you, it, it, what do you mean? You need to sleep in the same bed so badly that you can't stay with your family for two nights? Like, it, it really, you could get a lot of flack for that. And you could choose to say... You know, I want to be respectful of your house rules, but I also want to be respectful and comfortable in my relationship and how we choose to be together as a couple. And since we differ on that, I figure I would do the most responsible thing and suggest something else so that we can still come and participate in the holiday or the wedding or whatever it is. It's absolutely an option. Yeah. And it is something you can control, which makes it a good option and a good bottom line to have in your mind as you flesh that option out more and more. No, it, it, it makes yeah. a lot of sense. And particularly some situations, mm -hmm. it, it, having that control, being able just to, to take that whole question into a place where you get to make some decisions that you get to make as an adult is probably the right thing to do and the easiest thing to do. There are other situations where maybe... It draws more attention to it than you even want to, and there's other choices that you might want to make. I liked the idea of for how long. Like, if we're in this state, are we – if we're never planning on getting married, at some point we probably need to just discuss that this this needs to – if, if the house rules are because you're not married, you don't get separate bedrooms, and we're never planning on getting married, but we're committed to each other for life, then we do have to find a workaround because otherwise visits just aren't going to work. Or you need to just simply accept that it is always going to be separate bedrooms at this particular host's house. And that's it. And you're now walking up to that line of respecting your host's basic rules, house rules. We say Timmy's house, Timmy's rules when we're talking to little kids. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the children's etiquette applies really well in adult worlds and situations. If you're a guest in someone's home and they have you set up for separate bedrooms, sometimes the easiest thing to say is, Thank you so much. I appreciate a nice, clean place to sleep. And, <laughs> a free and, place to sleep, yeah. And being your guest and yeah, being here I in your home say. and sharing. <laughs> There's the good etiquette, Dan. <laughs> all the time that that affords. You also then get to sprawl out. I mean, unless you're on a on, a, on one of those really skinny little kid beds, you know, or something like that. There is another situation where you might ahead of time have a discussion. Yeah. About it. And if there's a question in your mind, I think whoever is closest to the hosts asking what the host is planning or thinking is a great way to open up that discussion. And if there's some breathing room in that discussion, if it's a, a place where there's room for both sides to discuss their approaches and perspectives, then maybe you have that discussion. If there isn't that room, you decide whether you're going to abide by those standards. If you're not, that hotel is always an option. <laughs> Lacey, we hope that this helps and that there are very comfortable stays ahead when visiting with these folks. How did I feel? 
as if we were living in a huge goldfish bowl. But I couldn't explain it to Pete. Oh, it wasn't all bad. Pete's mother and I had good times together. Our next question is titled, The Whole Shebang, Thank You. Hi. I was hoping to get an answer to a question regarding a thank you for a bridal shower gift. My close friend and mother of the bride recently informed another friend that her daughter would not be sending out thank you notes for shower gifts, as her daughter has been advised that brides are now only sending out one thank you note after their wedding, and that would include thanks for engagements, shower, and wedding gifts. Is this a new custom, or am I incredibly old-fashioned in expecting a thank you note in a timely fashion after each of my gifts has been received? As an aside, I think not receiving a note can be of some concern if you can't attend pre-wedding events and have sent a gift or had a store ship something that you are not sure has been received. Thank you so much, Lisa. Lisa, thank you so much for asking this question because it gives us the chance to say no way, no how. This is totally not the case. This is one of those convenient, trendy etiquette rumors that gets started. And it's just like the, oh, the you know, you don't have to send any of us thank you notes one that we did the other week. It's no, 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 etiquette, no, etiquette, no, etiquette, fail, hashtag, no. <laughs> like, this is not going to happen. <laughs> Lizzie show note, yipes. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that was in there too. It wasn't even yikes, it was yipes. <laughs> um, your shower could be months before your wedding. You need to send those thank you notes for gifts that are received randomly throughout the wedding planning process leading up to and after the wedding. Any shower gift that that happens. I would also add to the list of thank you notes that, that brides and grooms need to send individually are ones to family and friends who help and do things like your invitations or like the flowers. Um, really communicating your thanks and using those handwritten notes. Um, the whole point is that they do take time and effort to do. And that's why they are the, you know, the best. Now, we, Dan and I can go back to the fact that Emily Post, and we believe this too, really put emphasis on the very best thank you is that in-person heartfelt thank you where all of the energy, all of the emotion, all of the body language can communicate just how grateful you are for whatever it is, the gift or the service that's happened. But in lieu of that... Handwritten thank you notes. Super impressive. And this, your wedding, a time when people are putting more attention on you for a decision that has nothing to do with them. It is absolutely the time to bust out that stationery and do a thank you note for each thing you receive. It's an opportunity to be that grateful, generous person who expresses gratitude with generosity, who doesn't approach the thank you note as a... A burden or a chore, but as an act of genuine appreciation designed to show the people that have made an effort to be part of this special time in your life how much you value them and value their contributions. It's 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 the heart of good etiquette. And the idea I, – I, I love it. It's a convenient, trendy etiquette rumor yeah. that, that, that you would somehow try to – escape yeah. this burden, the burden of this responsibility or, or make it easier on yourself is something that I think we feel comfortable pushing back against. Absolutely. <laughs> the, the only place where I find a not absolute in this really? question. No, really? No, it's, it's a very theoretical place. Oh, my goodness. Are you going to like your 60,000 foot view for a minute? This is like 120,000 feet. Um, so don't pay attention to what Dan's about to say, but, but listen up. <laughs> I see, but where do new traditions come from? How many people have to do something before it is a new tradition? And 
I know, I know. Reply cards at weddings were this. Our grandmother railed against them, and then they became the thing that is actually useful and and regarded as good etiquette. Now you're right. So okay, I, I only do it as an exercise. Here. No, because then <laughs> you get to say, no, this is nowhere near that. And why not? Because first of all, not enough people are doing it. It's not something that's done broadly. There are still so many people that value that thanks and the act of writing that thanks, generating that thanks, expressing that thanks, that it's not going away anytime soon. And the second part of whether a new tradition actually becomes a new tradition or is some, and again, I've loved your language, some convenient (laughs) etiquette trend (laughs) rumor, uh, is whether it's going to work in the long term, whether it's actually going to function in a way that makes relationships better over time. And I don't think that's the case here. So again, Having looked at the other side from 120,000 feet, no, we still say no. Thank you for the high-flying view. <laughs> Lisa, thank you for giving a ch- us a chance to address this etiquette rumor and put it right back in its place. Yeah, then if you don't understand a rule, find out why the rule is made. If you really know why, then it will probably make sense. Our next question is titled, Girlfriend Over Friend. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Thanks for the amazing podcast. My question is, how do I hang out with just one friend in a couple? The background is that my friend Greg, who lives a few hours away, is dating a woman, Alice, who just moved to my town. He introduced us, and we get along great. Greg stays with her most weekends now, and they both suggest him coming along on events I planned with just Alice. I like them both, but Alice is easy to be around, while I prefer to have preparation when I'm going to hang out with Greg, because I often find hanging out with him emotionally draining. That doesn't exactly seem like something polite to tell him, though. Since I was friends with him first, do I owe it to him to include him in plans? I think I need some sample scripts. Thank you so much, N. This is a twist on a classic. It is a twist on a classic, and it's a tough one. I've been in this situation. Well, so often it's that you've got a good old friend, they end up in a new relationship, and now the new person is coming along all the time, and how do you get your time with your old friend back? Or here it's the new person who's come along who maybe I kind of prefer her To a the friend, bit. yeah. Well, and bear in mind, the friend didn't live in the area, so it could have been one of those friends where you're like, well, we're friends, but he's not my favorite person to be around, you know? And that, that happens. It also happens that, you know, when you have a friend and your friend introduces you to their friends and then you like their friends better than you like the friend that introduced you, but we don't have the relationship thing hanging out on this one. And the relationship thing makes it interesting because often couples do do things together. And oftentimes when both people are friends of the the non-member of the couple, <laughs> the friend, it's easy for a couple to hang out both together. And these folks are in a long distance relationship. So you can start seeing how it becomes convenient to the couple that they can both spend social time with N. But N is sitting here going, yeah, I don't want to spend social time with Greg. <laughs> so I want to give N some sample scripts. Okay. But before we go there, I also just want to acknowledge that sometimes it's difficult to break up that couple dynamic. Yep. In fact, sometimes it's impossible. And sometimes, sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah. That's part of the deal with a couple is that the way their time and lives get organized and budgeted, the commitments that they make to each other mean that you've got to deal with them as a couple. And 
that solo one-on-one time is just less of an option. It's than also it used just to be. less available. I mean, weekends might not be the time. This is this was my solution before I even went to sample scripts. Was I'm not, I'm thinking weekends probably aren't the time to hang out with Alice. She's got Greg up, or you know you're going to hang out with the two of them, but. She has her boyfriend up. They're trying to hang out and spend time together when they can't do that during the week based on the distance. And so I think it probably makes sense that Alice's priority is to be spending time with Greg on the weekends. And that, having done a couple of long-distance relationships, that lasts for a while. And then sometimes you end up wanting to do things on the weekend with your girlfriends or with other friends. And it just, it's that starts to break up a bit. So time might help this. And also planning during the, I mean, this you probably already thought of this, but planning during the week to hang out with Alice or trying to find some times maybe before Greg comes up. If you know he gets there at 10 o'clock on Fridays, could you go to an early dinner with Alice on a Friday or grab drinks with her after work or go for a walk in the neighborhood if you guys live nearby, something like that? So what I like here is you're taking a pretty structural approach to this. Yeah. You're not even really trying to navigate that interpersonal relationship space that gets a little trickier. You mean sample scripts? <laughs> and parsing out who you really want to hang out with? Exactly. Yes, I'm trying to avoid that at all costs. But no, but this this happens in friendships. I mean, like, I, I have couples that I'm friends with, and there are times where I want to hang out with just one of my friends in the couple. And so you have to find a way to be able to ask for that. And to me, the easiest way to do that is not to get into the deficiencies of the other person. <laughs> yes, and, smart move. And, and that has occurred to N and is yes. built into the way this question is asked, yes. that you don't need to talk about how Greg is emotionally draining. It takes time. You just don't want to hang out with him that much. You talk to Alice about how you value your friendship with her, how you sometimes like time just with your friends, and you're wondering if you could set up that kind of a walk or drink after work or whatever it is that that you like to do. It's also okay that as time goes on that you do exactly what Lizzie Post just suggested, that you can check in and say, hey, is this a Alice and N friend hang or is this an Alice and N Greg hang? And it's okay to be explicit about that and that expectation. Even if it's not always the answer that you want, it'll start to build the understanding and the framing in Alice's mind, that's a possibility, that's an option, that's something that you're invested and curious about and wanting to consider as you make plans. And we hope that this helps you find the balance in hanging out with both of these friends. There. I'm doing it again. I'm thinking all the bad things, all those nasty things that got me into this trouble. No. No, I know it wasn't fake. I know it was just me, my imagination, building things up that didn't really exist. Our next question is titled, Dad's Day, My Divorce. Hello, I'm attending my father's wedding in just a week, and I need a sample script on what to say on my pending divorce. Most family members do not know about this and will be wondering where my significant other is. How do I deflect from my situation to not spoil my father and stepmother's special day? At the risk of you growing tired of hearing this, I love the show. (laughs) Lizzie, I'm a Louisiana resident and also part of the Houdat Nation. Houdat! Cheers, Kristen. I got a sample script right off the bat. Let's go. My partner couldn't be here. How are you doing? That's it. Pretty basic. That's like it. It's just keep it. it. Just my partner couldn't be here. You don't have to say. It's just like when we say you don't have to give a reason for turning down an invitation. You have to give a reason why. And um, technically, I, I think 
that saying my partner works in this situation because that's the frame of reference this pa- person last understood them to be. You know, you don't have to say my ex yet if the divorce is finalized. And if it's going through the proceedings of a divorce, then technically you're still partners. So I feel like the the language works there. And it might even feel more comfortable than if you're saying my husband or my wife. And that I think that that can make a difference. I like that. You're the, the focus there on the particular language, how you describe this person, how yeah. you identify the relationship that you share. Yeah. I think that's the the first tack. Yeah. The, the head on, take it on. and Just in the moment. But what, is there anything we could do ahead of time? Two other thoughts. Okay. One, you might talk to any real key players ahead of time. And that might or might not serve the purpose of keeping the focus that day on your father and your stepmother. That if you start to to build a lot of discussion around your coming divorce that that maybe that defeats the purpose of just trying to move through the wedding before you really get into it with family. But it might also be the right choice. It's it's definitely something I think you can weigh yourself. My other thought, my second thought was if the question does come up that you've also got something in mind to prepare yourself and to have that sample script at hand and ready – so if someone asks a question about it or if they start to pry or push, you can say, I'd rather not get into it on such a happy occasion. Bingo. Or you might say to something, well, is he not well? Is he at work? Is he did... – no, he's not sick. No, he's not working. He'll be fine. But let's not get into it right now. You don't need to lie. You right. don't need to come up with excuses. You can always just say, no, no, he's he's just not here. I really don't want to get into it right now. Let's And you can even say – I really want to keep the focus on dad's special day today. That should be enough for anybody to let it go. And if they are curious or want to talk more with you about it, to do that at a different time. Kristen, I think you've really identified where the good etiquette is in this situation, which is focusing on your father and focusing on this special occasion. We think you're going to do a great job. Thank you for your questions. Please do send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question or feedback on the show. Sustaining members, please remember to put sustaining member in your question so we know to place it in the bonus content for sustaining members. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Wendy wrote in about accessible stall etiquette, which we covered in episode 204. Hello, I have some thoughts about the question regarding accessible restroom stalls. I used to share the sentiments of the questioner, feeling it was inappropriate for me to use that stall in case someone else needed it more. However, my thoughts have changed. I think the accessible stalls are a classic example of the curb cut effect in which something designed for a specific population proves to be beneficial for many. I am a mother of two small children with a third due any time now. Well, congratulations. I am perfectly capable of using a standard stall, but I often take advantage of the larger stall because it means I can go in with my stroller and use the restroom to help my toddler do so and possibly even change a diaper. Changing tables are often placed in these stalls. If I don't use the larger stall, I have to deal with rotating everyone around, probably getting the kids out of the stroller and causing a bit of chaos. I'd also like to add on to Lizzie's point that you can't necessarily tell by looking at someone whether or not they need that stall. 
I think the best choice is to go to the stall that is open and available. If you leave the larger stall open just in case, you are holding up the line unnecessarily, and you may be making it especially uncomfortable for someone who has a bladder issue or urgently needs to take care of that time of month. I'm sure this is too much to include in the show, but I wanted to share my thoughts, and I'll be curious to hear others. Thanks for making a thoughtful, thought-provoking, and uplifting show. Keep it up. Wendy. Wendy, thank you so much. It's a great reminder that sometimes it's families using it for the diaper change station and that that is just as legitimate as um, someone who has a, a visible need to use it. And so I think it's really, really important to remember that we just don't always know. And when we are in that line, it's best not to judge. I loved last week's comment from the woman whose husband uh, uses a wheelchair where he said, you know, I really don't mind anyone using it. It's just the person who camps out in there for a very long amount of time. And I think that that was a really excellent, excellent point. And I'm, I'm just really encouraged by everyone's thoughtfulness around this issue. Me too. Our next piece of feedback comes from Araya Benjamin. Hello again. I still love the show every week. I'm listening to episode 206 about chronic in California's question. I feel that your answers may have missed what is often an essential aspect of living with chronic conditions. I have been living with a chronic degenerative condition for several years. I'm in the fortunate position of having a career that can accommodate to my medical proclivities. I am further fortunate to have an unusually close, understanding, supportive, and involved family. I'm lucky that I've developed a stoic mindset to some of my more embarrassing issues, and they're becoming known. Those things are not true for most people in my position. They judge, often rightly, that they stand to lose position or opportunities at work if their condition becomes known or interferes too frequently with their day-to-day. They may not want members of their family to know what they are dealing with for fear of judgment or exclusion. They may even simply find the details so personally embarrassing, such as symptoms relating to bladder or bowel difficulties, that discussing things even tangentially can be downright painful. Harder still, many symptoms can be completely invisible. The word fatigue, as one example of many, can sound almost friendly or sometimes intolerably decadent. But chronic fatigue is debilitating and often hard to deal with emotionally. It's not just others who will judge you as being lazy, but you will judge yourself as well. Fatigue and other symptoms can also be vague. Is this a typical experience anyone else might have, or is it because of the condition? Even in my extremely fortunate case, it can become exhausting or uncomfortable to explain these things to each person with whom I want to socialize. It takes an emotional toll just contemplating the when, the where, it is necessary to read in new people and how far. I don't know the correct answer for chronic in California's problem. I lean towards full disclosure with everyone myself, but it's important to understand that that won't work for everybody. Thank you for your words each week. They are wise and relevant, and thank you for taking the time to read over a few of my words. I love this feedback. This is excellent feedback. It is so important to remember that what might sound like a simple stomachache to one person is actually a debilitating or potentially very embarrassing situation for someone else and it or for the person with the chronic condition. And it's always a part of our answer that you only share as much as you feel comfortable sharing. Um, and I really appreciate our listeners focusing in on that with this feedback. 
I wanted to close today's feedback session with a general thanks to everyone who's written in about sound issues that we've had with our ads over the last couple shows. We have had an increasing volume of ads on our show, which is phenomenal. We are very excited about that. It's the sponsorship of the show that makes it possible, along with the support we get from our sustaining members. So we thank both our sponsors and our sustaining members for that support. With this increased ad volume, (laughs) there are increased technical hurdles and difficulties, and we're still hitting our stride with it. And we really appreciate – we've heard about a number of different issues from sound issues to timing and placement of the ads in the show. And hopefully we'll continue to smooth out these little bumps, but um, it really helps to get your feedback. It helps us identify what's working, what isn't, and it helps us make those corrections. So thank you for that. Keep it coming, and hopefully here's to many more smoothly delivered ads in the future. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment, where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's postscript is about cell phone rudeness. I so wish one of our cell phones rang right in that moment. I'm pretty sure a cell phone has rung over the course of the recording of this program already. It usually happens at some point. Yes, mine, mine, mine. JP called me first thing in the morning. I was (laughs) like, oh, shoot. (laughs) I can't take your call right now. Well, that is a perfect example of something that was pointed out in an article that was sent to us by a listener to the show, Lisa. And Lisa shared an article with me from Joseph Grenny and Kelly Andrews, who wrote up some research that they had done about cell phones. And I really liked it because I use research about cell phone and cell phone rudeness when I'm teaching business etiquette. And I usually go to an AP Ipsos survey poll that was done a number of years ago that asks people uh, about cell phone etiquette. And one of my favorite questions is, have you witnessed people behaving rudely on their yes, cell phone. And 89% of people will say they have. And pretty consistently, if you also ask those same people if they've used their cell phone in a rude or annoying manner, only about 8% will cop to it. So eight or ten, so about 10% of people will say they do it, but 90% of people will say they've witnessed it. And we're not all seeing the same 10% behaving badly in the same, all across the country. <laughs> I, I love all the stories this particular yeah. survey results tell. What was fun for me about the information that Joseph and Kelly shared was that they also found that nine out of ten people could report an incident or an experience of rudeness with a cell phone in the last week. So a very similar number of people reported experiencing cell phone rudeness, but their duration, their time frame was only a week as opposed to in the last month or two. They went a little further and they found that one out of four people would say that they – thought that particular rudeness was something they would describe as serious, something that really bothered them. Oh, yeah. Not just a minor infraction, but something that they they thought was hurtful, harmful, or or bothered them enough that they called it serious. They also found that only one out of ten people said something. (laughs) So nine out of ten people felt they'd experienced or witnessed this kind of rudeness. Only one out of ten had said something. And this makes sense to me. The very definition of rudeness is that these are infractions that that cause emotional harm or distress, that bother people, but that aren't so egregious someone's likely to say something to you right. about it. That's the difficult gray area that oftentimes we're operating in when we're talking about rude behavior. The article goes on to talk about how you address this kind of rude behavior. How do you 
speak up for that kind of civility that you want to see in the world. And I thought this was where the article really hit its stride and the part that that I wanted to share with everybody today. Well, and this is what fascinates me because look at that. Nine out of ten are witnessing rudeness and one out of those four are serious rudeness. And that, and then we're only saying anything about it one out of ten. Psychologists out there, help me out, but, like, we should call Pooja on this one. Like, living in a constant state of witnessing rudeness. I mean, I know when I travel, you know, I, I nine times out of ten, I'm in a really great zen happy zone. And then there's the moment where I'm not. And it's because I've seen all this rudeness build up and I'm feeling that negative energy around me. And it just... It's it's impactful. We're living with a lot of rudeness that we are witnessing and not talking about or not willing to say something about or um, not self-checking on our – let's bring it back to that reflective place that etiquette brings us to. Not saying, okay, so if this is happening that frequently, I bet I'm doing it too. Well – you're jumping ahead just okay, a little I'm bit. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just can't help <laughs> No, it. but it is. It's that self-reflective place that I think is the most powerful. Right, and, and that's where I want to leave us today. But oh, first okay. I want to talk about steps that you would take to actually address this with other people. Okay. How you get over that hurdle of the one in ten who say something and say something when it matters to them, that one out of four times, let's say. The first piece of advice in this article is very similar to advice we give all the time, and that's that if you're talking about groups of people, if you're involved in leadership in an organization or you're part of a group where you can talk to people comfortably, you raise it as a general topic of discussion. I like it. You don't attack someone, address someone's particular bad behavior, but you talk about why cell phone courtesy is important, why investing in relationships is important. You say, I read the most interesting article the other day that had this Data. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and they were talking about rudeness with cell phones. <laughs> I promise all those links I send you in emails are not hints because they're not hints. <laughs> That's okay. It's the right way to raise a discussion, even if they are hints. <laughs> um, call it seeding the discussion. Call it laying the groundwork for better relationships and behaviors. Call it introducing ideas into organizational culture. It's a powerful way to proceed and don't underestimate your own power to change or impact others by sharing and talking about things that are important to you and concepts and ideas that you think are powerful. Step two, if you're talking about an individual, if you're talking about a personal relationship, someone that you interact with in your family, a close friend, you can talk to them on a personal level. And again, you try to stay away from the the personal attack. But you talk to them about why you value them, why you value your relationship. You prime them for the discussion. You are explicit about your good intentions and your desire to be a better friend and to have a better friendship. And it's it sounds cheesy, but it can really be a powerful thing to be explicit about what you're feeling and your good intentions for a relationship. When you have the personal history with someone, you can trade on that a little bit. You can take advantage of the fact that you are close and have a discussion that's about closeness. (laughs) (laughs) And it can also help, I think, to keep in mind the thing that you started our discussion about making improvements with, which is that oftentimes the most powerful changes you can make and the ways that you can affect the most change is to think about yourself. And I think when you're having that discussion with someone else, you can say to them and you can mean it, this is something I'm thinking about also. This is a commitment I'm making about the way I treat other people and yeah. behave as well. And that leads us to step three, which is the step where 
make an effort to lead. Make an effort to lead with your behaviors and your expectations of yourself as much as with your expectations of others or your hopes for the way other people are going to change what they do. It really is the place where you have the most authority. It's the place where you can affect the most change the most quickly. And with this type of behavior, it's probably something that we all do and we all participate in. And it can be really easy to lose sight of that. It's easier to perceive rudeness in others than ourselves. The vast majority of rudeness is unintentional. And a willingness to really think about how what you're doing impacts others and then make changes is for me, where oftentimes etiquette really begins. Wait, wait, wait. But what kind of rudenesses are we talking about here? Because, like, I would consider not texting me back in a work relationship rude, whereas someone else might be thinking, like, phone answering a phone in the middle of a conversation or, like, holding up a hand while they're on the phone talking to someone. Like, what what's the rudeness example? Great question. If you're really talking about examining your own behaviors, making changes, the most common form of cell phone rudeness is people interrupting an in-person conversation or Wait a second. got to take this. To answer their phone. <laughs> Absolutely. So the, the place to really <laughs> hold yourself accountable is how quickly you jump. When that phone goes off or buzzes or chimes or you get the email alert and you're in the company of someone else. That's probably the the moment of focus that the most of us could make the most gains on the most quickly. I would love for our audience to chime in with stories of ridiculous jumps for cell phone calls that they have made. Like, has anyone cleared a couch or a coffee table to get to their phone in the moment that it, like, goes off? Absolutely. Or the, the one that always comes to my mind is the phone that's ringing when it's not even ringing. The ghost ring. Oh, my phone's going the off. And I'm, like, I'm clutching at it because I think that it must want my attention. And I'm, I'm anticipating that endorphin rush. So creepy. <laughs> really strange. We are all programmed to respond to these devices. It can be really hard to fight that habit. Good luck. I found this particular article inspirational. We have shared it on our social feeds, and we will do that again. Thank you, Lisa, for sharing it with us. When we talk on the telephone, we should be kind and considerate. I'm sorry. I'm going to have the wrong number. Well, we like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. And today, we have something from Ashley. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I'm a new listener and have been bouncing around to different episodes through my work days. Just a brief aside to say how much I enjoyed the discussion on Dan and Pooja's wedding. It's so refreshing to hear the etiquette salutes. As a millennial who is fluent in sarcasm and sass, I do that's so great. I do still retain much of my very strict southern upbringing, particularly concerning areas of respect. It is a common perception that our generation and the ones who follow us do not care to carry on traditional values and etiquette, but that is simply not true. I recently sat waiting in a fast food drive-thru when a large group of early 20-something males crossed to enter the restaurant. I caught a few glances and smiles due to my music choice and returned them as a sort of invisible fist bump to acknowledge common ground. Shortly after the brief exchange, one of the guys came to my vehicle, introduced himself, and said, I hope you're having a good day. I just wanted to say hi and tell you how beautiful you are. All the while, he is glancing at my wedding band, I say thank you, and he proceeds, women should be told when they look beautiful. I just thought you should know. I said thank you again, rather caught off guard, and he returned to his friends, where the merciless taunting ensued, and I watched from outside. In a time 
When unwelcomed advances and catcalling consume the communication between men and women, I was impressed and very humbled to be approached so respectfully. He saw I was married, gave me a kind compliment, and went about his business without being intrusive. What a gentleman. Ashley. Ashley, thank you for listening to the show. I also love thinking about that particular wedding. I found myself looking at pictures of it just That particular yesterday. wedding, as opposed to all the other <laughs> weddings you and Pooja have had. <laughs> and also, thank you for this etiquette salute. I love the idea of the modern gentleman. I love the idea of a man who can be gentle in his approach. I think it's a powerful concept. Thank you, Ashley. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider helping us out by becoming a sustaining member. You can do this by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine. Thanks, Thanks Chris. Chris.